Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Zoltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So I'm on remote in a West Coast city. Kristen is in the studio, but thankfully... To Richard, we sound, I think we sound pretty good. Yeah, well, well it, you, you, let the you, the listeners know that you are making a great sacrifice <laughs> to be with them this morning uh, <laughs> because we are recording at 8 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So it yeah. still kind of feels like 7 a.m. here. Margie is in the Pacific Daylight Time Zone. So it's 5 a.m. but feels like 4 a.m. Yeah. The and things you know, we do for our listeners. We love you guys. My laptop has not been in the right time. It hasn't been in either Eastern or Pacific for some reason since I've <laughs> gotten here. So like I, yesterday, I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to be late. But that's because my laptop was, I think, in Central Time for some reason. And it's like not even at the exact time as my phone. It's like five minutes faster for reasons I can't understand. So anyway, my laptop is um, not cooperating. And since I didn't have groups, I went to bed very early. You know, when you do groups, you you know, there's yeah. no dinner. You eat dinner out of a package and you go to bed on like East Coast time, like, you know, two in the morning or one in the morning. And it just feels, you know, all out of sorts. And then you wake up at your normal East Coast time, which for me is very early because I have young kids. So I just leaned into it. I'm like, I'm going to bed at 8.30 local time. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to get up at some really cra- – well before our recording this time. And um, and so I think – I don't know if it was the right choice, but it was a, cho- <laughs> it was a choice that didn't – it wasn't the worst choice. I feel like – I feel confident it wasn't the worst choice I could have made. So my, my other question for you, as I think I mentioned on last week's show, I gave up Twitter for Lent. Yeah. How's it going out there in the mentions? So, I know. I, I felt like you were going to ask me this. You, do you know about the college admission scandal? I do know about the college admission scandal. I think that's the main. I mean, and you know about all the Tucker Carlson stuff. And then I, I only think sort of know about that. I only sort of know about that. It's harder yeah, I mean, for me well, to like, I have to actually go actively look for stories about that versus other things where like, if I go to the front page of NewYorkTimes.com, it's there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know... Getting my news through reading main... articles is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're like reading, or you're like, this is all brand new to me. <laughs> I have not already seen this, you know? And you can make like a new joke to yourself and not feel like thousands of people have made that joke already because you haven't been on Twitter watching people like, you I, know, joke about it in real time. I did email Ariel Edwards Levy and was like, I haven't been on Twitter in a week, which means I've been missing your puns. And I'm really certain that there's a like... Whatever happened to predictability joke? <laughs> like, there's got to be, like, some good Full House jokes that I'm missing. Oh, yes. There was so, something that I, th- I, uh, I flagged. It's not in the script, but I don't remember what it was. But there was something that was like, oh, we need to – I have an, yet another joke from Ariel Edwards-Levy I want to use. But I have to look it up now. What was it? My my brilliant idea. Her <laughs> bri- My brilliant idea to steal one of her brilliant ideas. I have to look it up. But, yes. She, she did miss something. I'm just not totally sure <laughs> which thing of hers it was. Well, it will be waiting for me. When I come back to Twitter on Easter Sunday, we'll see if all this stuff is waiting there for me. Although I don't know if I'm even coming back. This has been a really lovely week. Don't, wait, polling about Pancake Day, that's what you missed. Aren't you sad that you've missed it? Polling about Pancake Day. Most no. people, the most popular toppings for pancakes i'm not even that sad because you know what i got to do with my extra time i got to watch another episode of the great british baking show Ah. where uh lace pancakes was a technical challenge and they were all like befuddled about like what a pancake was (laughs) it's so fascinating to me the things that they all are like oh obviously i know what is and then there are things where they're like peanut butter and jelly. I don't know if these flavors go together. And I'm like, what kind of monsters are you? Uh, cultural exchange. Always yes, fun. Okay. I know, I know. Okay. So we, this week, the top lines, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Trump's job approval and his current standing with GOP voters in terms of a primary there. We're going to skip the Dem primary this week because not a ton has changed. Uh, but we are going to talk a little bit. We're going to go international. We're going to talk about 
polling averages in Canada. We'll talk about Brexit. And Pew Research Center has done an interesting experiment about ideology. Um, we will, a, a, um, in different countries in Europe, we'll take a look. Then some polling on women in the workplace. Is it okay for women to be funny in the workplace? Uh, what are I other have a lot of feelings about I that. I am so <laughs> excited to hear Margie's thoughts on this one. And then finally, St. <laughs> Patrick's Day is coming up this weekend. What are the best cities to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in? We will discuss. Um, so, yes. So we're going to start off with Trump and his approval. I mean, there wasn't that much issue polling that came out in the last week. So, But there has been quite a bit of 2020 on the Republican side and a little bit on the Democratic side, too, which we'll discuss. But as a backdrop to this is Trump's approval rating. He continues to be a very stable something um, with 43 percent approve. I guess that's a slight. I mean, 54 percent disapprove. I guess that's gone up a little bit in the last couple days. It's it's still it's not as high as it's been, but it's you know, it's it hasn't been improving. It's been worsening for him a little bit. His approval rating has gone down a little bit. His disapproval rating has gone up a little bit. Yeah, and bear in mind, I mean, this this number wobbles in part based on what yes. polls are in the average. So, like, the latest poll is a Rasmussen poll that has them at 47 percent approve. Um, the two before that, Economist, YouGov, and Hill Harris have him at 45. Um, but then ones that are conducted, I believe Monmouth still does telephone is 44. I believe Quinnipiac still does telephone. That's 38. Um, so there's a kind of a somewhat of a wide variation between polls, even if the average stays pretty stable. And I think these, I mean, the averages should, I mean, folks, if you're doing averages, you should put your, the mode, I think, on the table if you're doing like the data set. I think that would be helpful. Not that online is... Or phones, you know, that one is better necessarily. It would just be interesting to see if he tends to be overperform, underperform in certain types of modes. And then you, the reader slash listener, can make those decisions yourself. Yes, just like you would have RV or LV or A in some of these tables. So likely voters, registered voters, or I'm assuming A would be adults here. And so, you know, it... That self-report usually rather than a list for these national polls and, you know, so self-report, but, you know, lots of people say that they're registered voters or say that they're likely voters a little bit different than using actual vote history. Um, So I don't make too much of those differences. But again, these are the things that are are good to have in your tables or at least be aware of. Um, So then looking at 2020 specifically, you know, I, I, I don't overinterpret these fluctuations in his approval rating, but the national Primary polls or national assessment of vulnerability, I think, shows, you know, continued vulnerability for Trump. I, I, it's, I think that beyond just the approval rating, we don't have tracking yet for a generic ballot, you know, that we used to talk, you know, we've talked about that in congressional, you know, in the midterms, you know, the tracking of D versus R, who you could vote for, Trump or the Democratic nominee. At some point, someone will have a ballot test for that and on a regular basis and then we'll see tracking for that right now you see like reelect questions and everybody asks the reelect a little bit differently sometimes it's a three point or a four point there are three answer categories or four answer categories so it it varies and so it's hard to have that be a trend line that any outlet would aggregate um but it's still useful to see in in most of these metrics trump's not doing well and uh, monmouth did something interesting where they looked at the reelect um by counties and they combined folks who lived in swing counties so 300 swing counties um 33 percent of folks in those counties back Trump's re-election say they're going to vote to re-elect him 61 percent say they want change in some way or they want someone new um, I don't think the question is, do you want change? I think the question is, would you vote for somebody new? Um, and then in the red counties, he's at a reelect at 58, uh, 39% someone else. And in the blue counties, he's got a 21% reelect. So, uh, you know, even in the red counties, he is, you know, there, there are more people in the blue counties who want change than there are people in the red counties who want to reelect. Um, yeah, and, and then I, in the I was, swing, he's vulnerable. I was glad that Monmouth included what the, uh, you know, what Trump or Clinton, what the average win margin was in in the counties that they have bucketed together. Yes. Because at first, if they hadn't said that, my instinct might have been, well, I wonder if it's that the red counties, like red counties, the you know, the most Trump could have made it up to would have been a, you know, 70, 30 type win, whereas... 
for Clinton, there were counties and cities where no one was voting for Trump. And so, um, you know, maybe maybe it's not apples to apples. But by showing that actually the Trump margin of victory was an average of 36 points across all of these counties, that does make the 58 percent reelect, 39 percent someone new number kind of eye popping. Um, I suspect, I mean, based on the public reporting about what will the president's strategy be or what does he view his strategy as being is that he's very focused on trying to continue to win those red counties by 36 points again, um, more so than looking at these, you know, the 300 swing counties that Monmouth has has identified. The fact that he's down with only 33 percent in the swing counties, though, backing his reelection, I mean, that is that's that's not great. And again, there's the challenge with this type of question wording is it's do you want Trump or do you want not Trump? And while a reelection usually is largely a referendum on the incumbent, that could always change depending on who Democrats nominate. Um, but still, th- this is this is not good numbers. And I think this sets up the GOP primary questions well, because we have seen that there are very few issues where Donald Trump doesn't take a position and suddenly Republican voters sort of move to him, right? Whether it was Russia or trade or what do we do about the troops and uh, overseas? I mean, there are all sorts of things where Trump kind of diverges from, you know, what the party of George W. Bush would have done. Um, and yet the party sort of adapts to him and embraces him and, and moves forward. And so there has not yet been like a real issue where it's been like, oh, this is the thing that's going to make Republicans break away from you. Even something like Helsinki, when he sort of stood up and was dismissive of America's intelligence community and, uh, you know, sort of took Putin at his word. I mean, that was like feel like that and Charlottesville were the two moments where you saw the biggest pushback from Republican leaders. But even that, my sense wasn't that that meant they were going to go shopping for a new candidate. And what you can see in this Monmouth polling is they've been asking GOP primary voters, I know the 2020 election is far away, but would you prefer that Donald Trump run unopposed for the Republican nomination or would you prefer to see him face a primary challenge? Back in January, it was 49% said unopposed, 43% said face a primary challenge. Trump has actually improved on this one. Now, a majority of Republicans, 53 percent, say they would prefer for him to run unopposed. Um, they do then ask, they they do a Trump-Weld and Trump-Hogan matchup. Um, and in neither of those does Trump dip below a majority saying that they are firm Trump supporters. Um, so on the one hand, you, you can interpret these numbers glass half full, glass half empty. On the one hand, the fact that uh, only 55% are firm Trump folks, maybe lower than you might have imagined, given you know sort of the way it feels like Trump really does have a, a tight grip on the party. On the other hand, I mean, it, it suggests to me that he is unlikely to be successfully primaried, um, that, that sort of that, that dream is unlikely to be fulfilled. I got asked about this at, um, I gave a, a talk yesterday. I've been on the speaking circuit and my latest talk is like the 10 trends that I think are most going to shape 2020. And those 10 trends are all subject to change per, you know, the news and new polls and things. Um, but one of the things I got asked was, do you think Trump's going to get primaried? And I was like, I'm, I'm selling that stock. I'm still pretty bearish on that. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, someone might run against him, but I don't know that it's going to get a whole lot of anywhere unless there's some sort of nuclear bomb in the Mueller report or he actually finds the thing to make Republicans break up with him. But he has not done that yet. So I have a few thoughts on this. I mean, the first is when you look at these questions, and it's true in the Monmouth poll, and it's true in the Des Moines Register poll, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, there's a difference between the question of like, should there be a primary? And how would you vote in said primary? Um, and I think there's more openness to a primary kind of in the theory than an actual vote, uh, you know, against Trump. Um so, you know, do you prefer that he run unopposed or would you prefer to see him face a primary challenge? That's a lower bar than like, how are you going to how are you going to vote when then it seems more people are actually, you know, more likely to be with Trump in the Des Moines Register poll. And that's of Iowa and caucus goers in Iowa. The Monmouth poll is national. Do you hope that there is a Republican who challenges Trump? Hope there is. 40 percent say hope there is. 41 percent hope there is not. And I don't know if that's an Iowa difference where they're like, bring it on. We want a th- we want a thing here because it's Iowa. Or is it because they, you know, they're open to the conversation about a primary, even if they're not necessarily going to 
vote for somebody else because then in the same Des Moines Register poll, you have, you know, two thirds say they're definitely going to vote to reelect Trump. So, well, that's in the general. Do they have a presidential head to head? Well, he's, you know, clearly very supported and, and, you know, has strong support in Iowa. I think there's just openness to the idea of a primary. And then the other thing is, you know, looking at Iowa versus the country, you know, if Trump is indeed more vulnerable to a primary challenge in Iowa and New Hampshire and other early states, does that scramble the national numbers? You know, nationally, it, there may be a lot of people who are not really thinking about a Republican primary at all. But if all of a sudden there is somebody who challenges Trump in one of the early states and does quite well or, you know, let's say wins a primary or like makes it very competitive, does that change how people view the national numbers? And so it's hard to really, you know, to, to separate the national versus the early state piece. I just wanted to flag one other number in this poll uh, that is, I feel like it's in some ways a a question where like obviously you're going to get 90% of people picking the one answer, but (laughs) which of the following describes the way you personally would like to see Donald Trump campaign for (laughs) re-election? Like if you were suddenly Brad Parscale, what would you be telling the president? Either focus on promoting the positive changes he's made for the country or focus on attacking his opponents. Uh, 90% say promote the positive changes. Only 4% say focus on attacking opponents. Attacking opponents it is then. (laughs) Great. Sounds like like the voice has been heard. The voice of the people has been clearly heard. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we we could talk now a little bit about the Democratic primary questions. And I I don't think it's worth, as, as Kristen mentioned, going through the any change that you may see in this in these horse race polls. I mean, Monmouth's headline was like, no change in Democratic 2020 primary. I mean, there's just not enough for a national poll to pick up like tiny fluctuations in who's having a good week or a less good week, um, aside from potentially when people announce. Um, other than that, there's not as much news that's getting to Democratic primary voters nationally. But there is, you know, we do see some interesting questions or breakouts in some of these polls. So the Monmouth poll Again, this is national. They found something interesting where uh, that Sanders gets 46% of the folks who say they voted for him in 16 in the primary, and he gets 14% of those who say they were with Clinton in the primary, which is not a surprise. And then the remainder of Sanders' folks are then divided across, you know, everybody else, essentially. More go to Biden than others, but they're basically divided um, everywhere. And and what we've seen, we see in this poll is what we've seen in other polls is that Biden and Sanders kind of share support, like each each base of support or, you know, the people who are with them currently say their second choice would be the other. And there was something funny in the Des Moines Register article where there was a quote from somebody like, I like Biden and Sanders because they both seem like they like really to collaborate with other people like well that is a they are not really similar in that way and like i like, just found that very interesting that people are you know put them like i mean i've said this other, isn't like, the they similarity very different in style they're very different in style isn't the similarity between joe biden and bernie sanders right now for a lot of democratic primary voters that they're two dudes i've heard of i mean yeah. like like isn't that kind of what's going on here a little bit because they're not the same they're not even a little bit the same. Right, right. They're not even a little bit the it's same. It's not like so being fa- like, oh, man, do I want to go to Starbucks or Pete's? It's like, do I want to go to Starbucks or do or I? Pizza. Or pizza. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're not the same. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. So well. <laughs> the fact that they're each other's, like, second choice means that this is, you know, folks are, all right, these are the guys I've heard of. Um uh, which is why I think, you know, it's it's worth not getting spending too much time with a magnifying glass to all the, you know, the big polling questions for, for right now. Yeah. Um, but the Des Moines Register poll does ask some of these questions that we've, you know, seen other outlets try to do to try and get out like, you know, how are people going to make their decisions? What are they what are they thinking of when they're making their decisions? And these are hard questions to like to really nail, hit the nail on the head in one question because people don't also know. And are you giving them, you know, some specificity to their thought uh, thought process that they may not have? So there's one in here that says, which which is more important to you personally, a candidate who will focus on harnessing Democrats positive energy to unite the country or a candidate who will focus on harnessing Democrats' anger to defeat Trump. And in that one, overwhelmingly people say positive energy. I mean, it's kind of like the question about should Trump 
talk about his accomplishments or attack his opponents. I mean, it's not exactly like that, but it's similar in how lopsided it is. So does it really tell you what is it revealing about where Democrats are? Um, you know, the harnessing anger piece, I think, is is what sinks that second one. Because when you have other questions, we've seen other questions like, do you want someone who shares your values or someone who's going to defeat Trump? It's a lot more divided. People, you know, there are more people on each side of those questions. So there's something about, I think, that harnessing anger that people are like, well, that's, that sounds like a bit of a turnoff. Um, and then they have these two questions on Biden and Sanders. Do you think their time has passed or not, essentially? And I think it's tough to kind of get a sense of how people view these candidates in this way. These are forced choice questions. And the other answer category has a lot in there. And it may be hard for people to say, well, you know. They're double-barreled questions is part of the problem. So for for listeners who don't know, a double-barreled question is one where your response option is kind of two answers in one. It's it, the answer is asking you to agree with two different things. So it would be like, which of the following do you agree with more? I don't like coffee, or I like coffee and cappuccinos are my favorite. Like you might not agree with the first one, but you only agree with half of the second one. So you could say, um, I don't think that the time for someone as a candidate has passed, but I, I think they should be in the race again. Or the more likely one in this construction would be for you to say, look, I, I don't think that he should be in the race again, but I think he has more experience than any other candidate. Or I don't think he should be in the race again, but I think his candidacy pushed the party in a good direction. Right. Like you could agree with half of the statement. And so it can be kind of weird for, for respondents. Right, right. Or you could say, I think Sanders has pushed the party in a good, you know, good direction. Uh, or I don't think he's pushed the party in a good direction. But, you know, he can run if he wants to. Sure, if he wants to be in the race, yeah. why not? Right. You could, it, it's easy to get sort of confused about where you might land if, um, if you know, neither of these. There are so many different options layered into this question. It's hard to know exactly yep. where you land, I think, the, for some respondents. The last question in here that I thought was really interesting was asking Democratic, likely Democratic caucus goers about the issues that they wanted to hear about. Um, and climate change and health care top the list like far and away. Um, 81% of Iowa caucus goers say they hope that candidates talk about health care a lot. 80% say they hope they talk about climate change a lot. This was one of my... 10 trends that's going to shape the next year and a half of politics was like Republicans are going to have to talk about climate because Democrats are going to be talking about climate all the time. And Republicans are going to want to weigh in and say like, oh, the Green New Deal is terrible. But if they don't have something of their own, there's going to be a lot of suburban voters that are like, well, great. What's your what's your plan then? So like I expect I expect (laughs) no ball in my pocket. Well, yeah. Well, (laughs) I expect the Democrats focus on climate change to be a forcing mechanism to Republicans will have to engage in some way more than 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 just not saying anything. I think that's good. And this also kind of pushes back to this battery um, on this thing that people like to ask about, you know, do you know, if Democrats are not talking about impeachment, is that a liability? Don't Democrats need to talk about impeachment because the base is just, you know, clamoring for it and that's what they demand. And according to this poll, that is by far the lowest tier priority for folks. And and the question stem is, we're interested in what you want candidates to spend time talking about. For each of the following, do you want candidates to spend a lot of time talking about it, a little? So they're really asking, like, not w- whether it's a priority for you, but how much time do you want candidates to hear candidates talk about it? And only 22% say a lot about impeachment, and it is, you know, far, far, far the lowest here at the bottom of the list. So the sense that, you know, the base is just, you know, needs to hear something on impeachment from Democratic candidates, which you hear a lot of people saying on cable and Twitter is not actually borne out by yeah, this if, poll. If I may engage in some rank punditry before we go to a quick break. Uh, yes. I was on a network yesterday and um, that was one of the sort of segments was like, oh, Pelosi comes out and says that she doesn't really doesn't want to pursue impeachment, thinks it would be divisive. Is Pelosi losing control of her party? And I wanted to be like, I feel like this is her asserting just how in control of her party is that she's <laughs> like, I'm going to go out and say this thing. And I, I'm sort of loving th- this idea that like she's losing con- like. I think Nancy Pelosi is firmly in control, guys. I don't <laughs> I don't think this is a signal that she's somehow out of touch. I think this is a signal that she's like, 
I am the captain now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> totally, uh, totally. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will head overseas for some polling from Canada, the UK, and more. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. All right, we're back. Let's first head north very quickly to look at the polling averages in Canada. Um, There are elections coming up in Canada, um, I believe a couple months from now. I think it's this October. Um, And there's been a little bit of political turbulence over the last couple of weeks. Um, I know Margie is a big fan of... Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I'm a low information fan. Yeah, <laughs> he is. He's he's had a, a rough time. I think I, we tr- I tried to explain in broad brushstrokes like the nature of the allegations, but it's it's kind of it's the sort of thing that if it happened here in the U.S., it's like a Tuesday um, in this current media environment. But in Canada, it's like one of the biggest political scandals ever, and it's essentially that. Uh, the allegation is that his team nudged his attorney general to go, like cut a plea deal with a company that was being charged with bribery stuff. You know, kind of like if the president of the United States were to go to his senior staff and be like, hey, can you go tell Jeff Sessions to knock off the... Anyhow, I, I digress. Uh, <laughs> again, the sort of thing that I feel like was probably happening here on an average Tuesday, but is like it is a big scandal in Canada. Um, and and it, I so think- I just did a search, and the top hit for Trudeau right now is Trudeau's feminist brand is imploding. Anyway, womp, leave that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I, Tell I, me, uh, internet, what to think? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but so anyhow, but I have to check the record. I guess the, 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 the Liberal Party's polls had already been in rough shape um, throughout the course of 2018. Um, in fact, things had been looking a little better for them as they headed into 2019. But that that lead has really kind of collapsed in the last uh, couple of couple of weeks. And you now have 35 um, percent say they would support the conservatives. Thirty two point nine percent say they would support liberals. Fifteen point nine percent say uh, for NDP. Eight point three for the Greens. Um, 4.4 for the Bloc Québécois, and then uh, 2.3 for PPC. Um, so there's, again, you nobody's going to really have 50% necessarily, and that doesn't mean they don't win. They just would have to form a government. And so conservatives being ahead would mean they would get sort of first dibs on forming a government, but that, that does not necessarily mean that they would take over the, the government. We got a long ways to go, but anyhow, things are looking a little dicier for Trudeau's government in Canada. Okay, so this article about how his feminist brand is imploding says, um, you know, his fondness for antics such as balancing babies, cuddling pandas, and posing with his hands in a heart before a pink backdrop have led one Toronto writer to call him the political equivalent of a YouTube puppy video. <laughs> I don't know why. That's so funny. I mean, Satisfying but lacking depth. Were, were those his feminist credentials before? <laughs> Honestly, that's anyways. Uh, yeah. So in 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 other this leagues, is in addition to some hard hitting commentary. But yes, that's just the part I felt like I needed to read out loud. <laughs> uh, another world leader that's having a rough go of it. Theresa May. It's not great. Um, her Brexit deal, I believe, got shot down in Parliament and lost by like 150-some votes uh, yesterday, which was a lot more than they were potentially expecting. So we have some new Sky News polling um, about what people think. More than half of Britons think Theresa May's new Brexit deal has not improved on the previous one, which was rejected by Parliament. Um, Sky News found that 42 percent thought it made no real difference. Um, Six percent said it made it worse. Five percent said a lot worse. Only, I think, 23 percent thought that the uh, new deal that had been worked out earlier this week had been 
uh, an improve, a little improvement and 10% improved a lot. So only a third thought that it was moving in the right direction. Brexit is basically this terrible like three-headed problem where you have some people that are like, I just don't want us to Brexit at all. And then you have some people that are like, I want us to Brexit completely and totally. And so neither of those sides is willing to like come into the middle to say, okay, well, Brexit is happening. Let's make it happen in a like optimal fashion. So because this is not like, I mean, you need a majority, but there isn't a majority because there's three different ways you can feel on the question. Um, it's sort of a right. hot mess right now. And, and there's a new Politico poll that shows half of voters in the UK want May to resign. Um, and there's growing support for no deal and for a second referendum and for remain. So, you know, 50%, like exactly 50% said May should resign. Maybe when uh, Harry and Meghan have their baby, that's when, like, she should try to just push something through because everybody will be like, there'll be like national pride and happiness. And I'm just, I'm political strategizing here based on my reading of the Daily Mail. Um, That's going to be part of your like three-page PowerPoint to meet, meet the May if you have to meet the May administration. <laughs> like step one, babies, <laughs> royal babies. Uh, it's the it's the ultimate Friday news dump opportunity. Step two, sunshine? Question mark. <laughs> step step three, three, like soccer, profit, profit. profit. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, okay. let's let's continue our tour through Europe um, with a fun experiment that it looks like the Pew Research Center folks did. And this is something that I grapple with constantly. And I would tell our listeners to tweet at me what they think, but I'm not going to see your tweets for a couple weeks. So maybe like hang on to them. Is yeah. the how, how do you Likert scale? <laughs> so uh, a Likert scale for our listeners is a like a numeric scale that you can give to people so that they can rank things. I, I believe they're typically seven or typically like a seven point scale. So asking someone on a scale of one to seven, um, what's your political ideology with one meaning very far left and seven meaning very far right and four meaning in the middle, where would you place yourself? And uh, when you ask it this way, one to seven, they asked it in France, Germany and the UK. Um, they find that um, you wind up with a lot more people or slightly more people saying that they are on the left versus the center, where if you ask it as a zero to six scale, you find fewer people putting themselves on the left, specifically on the center left, more people sort of like getting themselves right in the center. And I wonder what causes that. Like, that's interesting that there is a statistically significant difference in the way people in France and in Germany uh, and in the UK, like, rank themselves when it comes to are you left or are you center? Um, they don't want to be a zero. Yeah. Well, so this is what I, I think is interesting. When I'm doing a Likert scale in a survey, I always try to use zero as one of my endpoints if it's something like, not at all important or like, you know, where we're like a zero is clearly a negative thing or an empty thing where if it is uh, something where both ends of the spectrum are not necessarily like bad or empty, uh, you would say, you know, one to seven could work fine. Um, right. But if you were doing like favorability, you would do zero to ten. But as opposed to yeah, one I'll, to ten, because you want a midpoint, which is a little bit different. Than, you know, it's a little bit different than here, where you have an odd number. So it's just a question of where you start and where you end. Zero to six or one to seven. Yeah, I but mean zero it, to ten on a favorability or zero to a hundred. Zero means no zero. I have zero <laughs> favorability toward this. Person. Yeah, and this was this was I think I remember early in my career I was doing a project jointly with um, the Heart Research folks, and, and it was Alan Rivlin was the the Dem pollster, and I had written a questionnaire, and I was so proud of it, and like it came back with all of these like red marks of like here are all these things you need to change, uh, and but one of the big ones was that I had been doing Likert scales where it was like one through seven or one through nine or something like that, and he was like, no, you need to do a zero to. 10 or zero or whatever it was, because it'll just be easier for respondents to understand that, you know, what people get what a zero means. If it's a one to seven scale, is one good? Is one bad? Like, is one first place or is one like, what does that mean? You have to be it's much harder. Um, So anyhow, I'm just fascinated that it actually does produce such different 
results. And very, very little difference at the higher end of the scale. Like if you are right or center right, there's very little difference there. But in France, the zero to six scale, 31% of people put themselves right in the center. They say, I am a three. Um, and so this is also different from the other way you could ask this. Instead of saying, where are you? You could say, are you very liberal, somewhat liberal, not to, or, you know, not so you have words to the scale as opposed to a number that people then try and figure out what sounds best to them. Yeah, these are these are fun things that pollsters debate amongst themselves, which I suppose that's why you're listening to this show, listeners. So I apologize for nothing. I'm glad we <laughs> don't worry. About we're going to talk about jokes next. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, that concludes our tour through Europe. Uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about ladies in the workplace. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. All right, we're back. Uh, okay, so Fred, the, Margie, you dive in. This is yeah. Your, your, this is so your first topic. of all. Did, you did miss International Women's Day on Twitter. I don't know what it was like outside of Twitter. Uh, it, you know, because oh, International I Women's have Day an International like, Women's Day story. Okay, go ahead. So I I have not been on Twitter, but I have been on Instagram and on International Women's Day. I mean, I am not normally someone who like does big posts for holidays and anniversaries. It's not because I don't care. It's not because I'm not moved. But, like, let's take something like September 11th. I'm not usually somebody who's, like, posts the American flag and says never forget. Not because I don't love America because I love America and 9-11 is, like, it brings back all kinds of the memories. for. I mean, but I just, like, that's just not how I express myself typically. My social media is pictures of Wally and stuff. Um, but on International Women's Day, I, I by, like, 8.30 p.m., I felt the pressure of like, okay, the, I want to celebrate a woman that I th- I admire. And so I picked Margaret Thatcher because, obvi. Um, but, I, uh, but I didn't want it to be a partisan thing because I know there are lots of women out there for whom Margaret Thatcher is right. not She's really their like bag. She's kind of like your RBG or Ann Richards. Right. Like you can <laughs> acknowledge that she has done – like she broke a barrier and did yeah. a, a big thing, right? So I picked a quote from her that was very – Nonpartisan, non. I, I did not pick like socialism sucks. I picked like uh, something about like. Did she say that? Is that a quote from? Our- <laughs> <laughs> paraphrase. Paraphrase. Okay. It's a lot of her quotes. Okay. Bless her. Uh, um, but anyhow, <laughs> I picked one that was something like, "No good thing was ever accomplished without making trouble." Um, so d- did that. That was fine. Um, then in the comments on Instagram, some guy who I will not name. I don't even know him. He's a random stranger parachutes into my mentions and goes, is that Phyllis Schlafly? Because if it is, you should know that she is no friend to women. And I'm like, okay, hang on, guy. So you parachuted onto a woman's Instagram page to lecture her about the woman that she's choosing to celebrate for International Women's Day. You acknowledge that you can't recognize her, but still felt like you were qualified enough to weigh in. Way to feminist, buddy. Way to feminist. I was like... Oh, this is why, like, performative male <laughs> feminism drives me bananas. Sorry, Trudeau. But, like, it's just, like, I, you don't get it. Like, I know that you're trying to very publicly feminist here, guy, and you have <laughs> missed the mark. Okay. Well, you know what's hilarious about that is because it's not even that other guy who trolls you about Phyllis Schlafly from I, the right. No, I was going to say, I was like, I want to put him in a room with our buddy from the Facebook page who's so mad that I'm not Phyllis Schlafly. I want the two of them to oh duke it out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Go find a so... Facebook page and argue with each other and leave my Instagram alone. But anyhow, I just, it was, 
That it is was awesome. Perfection. It was perfect. Meanwhile, I was I was feeling kind of you know ridiculous and trite because I'm like, oh, I do want to sail on work dresses for International Women's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to take an exercise class where all the singers are women. What's wrong with me? I'm in, I'm like embarrassed for myself, you know. So, but I but I agree with your strategy usually about a International Women's Day post. Although I do like people see, you know, I do like to see what people say. I like I enjoy many other people's posts usually, um, and so. Politico did something interesting. This was, uh, you know, at the end of last week. Um, Men are more, so half feel men are better off than women. Um, Republicans are less likely to feel that way. But 44% of women say men have a better life. Um, But a majority of men say there's no difference really between the genders. So just 28% of men feel that they have a better, men have a better life than women, even though about you know forty four percent of women say the same. So there's a gender difference, not a surprise uh, on that. And the and a plurality say that most important issue facing women today are pay equity and job discrimination. Um, that would be the top, followed up by sexual and domestic violence. Further down the list is workplace sexual harassment and human trafficking and sex slavery being like on par with reproductive rights and childcare accessibility, I find that kind of strange, honestly. Um, not that human trafficking and sex slavery isn't a, you know, incredibly tough problem. It just is not as pervasive as childcare, you know, having a you know, feeling that childcare is not accessible or not accessible in an affordable way. Um, so that's, that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I don't know what you thought looking at that. I guess there's no surprise to see. Uh, party gaps there. Let me look up to see if there are party by gender gaps. I'm sure there are. Yeah, this was, I mean, so speaking of, you know, Margaret Thatcher, just briefly, I mean, I believe she had a quote from the early 80s where she said something like, the battle for women's rights has already largely been won. And obviously that is not a sentiment that most uh, American women are feeling. It's certainly not a sentiment that most um, Democratic voters uh, are thinking. Um, And so, yeah, it's, the what is the status of women question? I am always just fascinated when there are these big differences between men and women. Um, and again, it's it's not that there are men who are like there are, you know tons of men going oh women women have it easier. I mean, I guess ten percent of guys feel women have it easier, but it's not like egregious where each both sides each think the other side has it significantly better. Um, it's more just that like guys are are it seems largely not uh, understanding what like. Why would women be so many women be saying this? Yeah, because <laughs> they're wrong. Because <laughs> clearly they're wrong. Um, yeah, no, it's just it, it is. I mean, obviously, also people perceive this from their own the lens through which their own their own lives, as opposed to the lens of how other people are experiencing it. Which is why we see these differences when you ask people about racial discrimination and gender discrimination, age discrimination. You see. Those differences that are quite predictable. Um, and then the other thing that was bouncing around the internet that you missed was a study. I'm sure Richard will tell us that the dames either were talking about this, the dame at all to hell show that he also produces, um, or will talk about this. It seems like right up the dame's alley. But um, the there was a study done, and this is like very – it's not a poll per se, but they use the kind of same – split sampling, experimental technique that you would use in a lot of uh, polling to test the use of humor and how people view humor across gender depending on who is giving a presentation. And so this was in a workplace. This was using humor in the workplace. So they had uh, they did this online and they read a fictional resume of a manager named Sam and then they watched a video presentation where Sam – uh, uses humor, right, or doesn't use humor. And so half saw Sam as a man and the other half saw Sam as a woman. So, you know, it's a man, male Sam or a female Sam. Um, and then not everybody had – some people had a humorous Sam presentation and some people didn't have a humorous Sam presentation to to see what the diff- interaction between humor and gender would be. And the male Sam who used humor in his presentation – had a better outcome. People rated the funny Sam better, the funny male Sam better than the funny female Sam. The funny female Sam was hurt by using jokes in her presentation, which 
may the internet go crazy. Um, <laughs> this, the fact that humor might hurt women at the workplace or something that like, you know, it my I mean, I was like, well, I want to make a joke about this, but maybe I shouldn't make a joke about this. Maybe if I make a joke about this, that is harmful to me, you know, in my career by making a joke. I definitely felt like a pang of like, I had a moment where I was like, maybe I should stop trying to be funny in meetings and on email threads. Like, I really had that. Like, I had a real moment. I was like, I do, maybe I do rely on being funny, like, too much. Um, but, uh, you know, well, I guess it's this, this not going to change. Further, this is science <laughs> telling me that I should just stay off Twitter and quit trying to be funny. There. Uh, no, I, I remember, actually, in high school debate long ago, uh, I, you know, the type of debate I did, you would give like three minute speeches on public policy topics. And for the first, for my entire like sophomore and junior year, I was pretty like serious and, you know, would start off with a Thomas Jefferson quote and then one for my three areas of analysis and would have like, you know, all sorts of facts and things. And then by my senior year, I was feeling a little more YOLO and I would start trying to open my speeches with like funny quotes. And I would get uh, like my my coach was kind of like, um, you should probably knock that off because like your scores aren't as good when you do that. Um, really, and and it was sort of acknowledging like it's not fair, and it's probably because you're a woman. Like, welcome to the world, um, and welcome welcome to the unfairness of the reality that you are about to embark upon. Um, it, but so I I definitely remember getting the like mm, maybe you should uh, maybe humor is not the way you want to open a speech because you get like on average like two to three points lower when you do. Uh, so. Yeah, that was a lesson 17-year-old Kristen learned the hard way. Uh, mm. And now science has proved it. Great, guys. Well, that doesn't make... Yeah, I thought... I wanted to see that story take a different direction, honestly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. No, that it just proved... It proved the teenage Kristen <laughs> discovered the patriarchy. And well, that's done. why we're in the safe space of our of our, our hit podcast where we can, you know, be, uh, be like... I mean, you know, it's funny because I thought about this and I did Julie Mason's show for folks listen to it on Sirius. She's very funny and I feel very loose like when I go on her show. And, and then I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't really be that laid back on the radio maybe I should just save that for you know in real life and like what if I say something ridiculous and then I realize well it's not like going on like Bubba the love sponge you know <laughs> like Tucker this Carlson's is the second like, time oh well that's is, is he this the Tucker Carlson story yes, okay I was gonna yes. say this is like the third time Bubba the love sponge has come up in my universe in the last 24 hours yes that's why and okay. so Jack Schaefer had this like good story it could column in Politico like you know this is what these shock jacks do they want you to come on and like they want you to be you know you want a, the host to like you and so you do that by trying to be funny but then you end up looking ridiculous and so all of this this poll and all that I was like I should I'm trying to be funny but you know I'm not going to joke about I would never you know joke about child rape and call women all these disgusting things so then I felt a little bit better by that that my humor does not go into the if that's what you're looking for folks you've come to the wrong podcast (laughs) you should just find right I don't know if Bubba the love sponge is still on but there's probably other recordings you could find. Um, so yeah, so I, I did. I did have a pang about the use of humor, and is it like noticeably too much? You know, and if one does it, and does it hurt women? I don't know, but maybe, maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just you know we don't know the jokes that they used. Maybe the jokes were not funny, and maybe sort of like mediocre jokes help a man and hurt a woman. We don't know. That's true. It may be the case that like a guy can get away with more of like an uh. Yeah, <laughs> joke. Where Maybe male Sam was just had better delivery than female Sam of the same material. We'll we'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah, we'd have to click on the actual article, so we'll just never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last but not least. Or made a mystery. <laughs> Wallet Hub has done a very intense analysis. Um of across American cities of their St. Patrick's Day traditions that cost safety and accessibility and typical St. Patrick's Day weather. That seems like quite a lot to know about St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, and we we evaluated those dimensions using 17 relevant metrics with different weights. And I then they like did they this across it... like a hundred and some cities. Yeah, I think they could have made this simpler, honestly. Save yourself like valuable hours, right? This was a lot, but the most uh, the, the cities that topped the list, Chicago, uh, had a total score of sixty-seven point zero three percent. How do you by, feel about the six point zero three on the score there? I don't Does mind. That meet, I don't mind. It's not a percent of a poll of poll respondents, right? It, exactly. It's an index. So, but still, 
I kind of wish, I mean, if they were going to go through all this trouble, they should then align the, they should have them all to two decimal points. Some of them are to one, and they should align them by decimal point, not center them. Agreed. Agreed. That's my uh, chart quibble. Yeah. Well, and you could you could stretch out the city column so that it doesn't wrap text around to a second line and really like neaten up that column. Yeah. This is why my staff loves me. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is why everyone at Echelon loves when I yeah, look at presentations yeah, yeah. and charts. Um, yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I've never celebrated St. Patrick's Day in Chicago or Philadelphia. I've never been to Madison, Wisconsin. I'm going in May. I'll be speaking at the Wisconsin Women in Government Gala. May 15th, buy your tickets. Um, Tampa, Florida. Tampa's a fun town. Magic Mike. Have you been there for... I don't know. Tampa's fun. Does it have a rockin' (laughs) St. Patrick's Day? Uh, uh, Unclear. They have Ybor City, which is like where there's breweries and where they used to make cigars. and There's tons of clubs. and um, That's where I think my... Be- my best I think I've told the story on the podcast of the like rock the vote Steve Aoki party co-sponsored by Facebook at the GOP convention there where it was like Tampa teenagers in torn fishnets at like three in the afternoon on a Tuesday and then like a bunch of Republican dudes in bow ties <laughs> it was like <laughs> what am I watching here like how many of the guys in blazers know who Steve Aoki is how many of the girls in torn fishnets know this is a Republican convention event like I think there's not a lot of overlap here but anyhow yeah Tampa has they have big parade they have Gasparilla it's like a big pirate themed party day it's like their Mardi Gras Tampa's a fun town they got a lot going on all right. I um, so years ago when I worked on, when I was at Purple and we worked on the Bloomberg focus groups in some early primary states, and one of them happened to be in New Hampshire. It was in New Hampshire. It was in Manchester on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> so in the back, in like in the back room, they had like a full camera crew like recording it. You know, for television, it wasn't like just kind of the you know, hostage video you see for focus groups typically. And so, you know, they were like, okay, cut to this person, go to this person, to a two-shot, like a full control room. And um, and so they, someone would say, go to the person in green. And they're like, it's St. Patrick's Day. Four of them are wearing green. Like that. Everybody was wearing everybody was wearing green. They had to come up with different ways to identify them because so many people <laughs> were wearing green. Anyway, so that's my, that's how I celebrate St. Patrick's Day, which is pretty sad. Well, what did we what did we learn this week, Margie? Well, what's on the trend line? Oh, this week's trend line. We're just doing a best of episode because I'm traveling for focus groups. I'm not going to make it back into town in time to get a new episode this week. So we're, we're tabling it. We're doing a best of. We're going to re-air some of my favorite uh, interviews, but then we'll be back the week after with uh, fresh fresh content. Cool. Well, spend more time on that trend line and not as much on 2020 primary trend lines. It's still too early. And ladies, keep making jokes, I think. Um, And happy St. Patrick's Day to those who celebrate wherever you are, whether you're in a best city or some of these worst cities, wherever you are. Have a great St. Patrick's Day. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters, individually at at Margie O'Meara and at Kay Soltis Anderson, except I'm not going to respond to you for the next couple of weeks, so you'll be shouting into the void. You can find us at www.thepolsters.com or on Facebook, where throughout the week we post links to the polls we think are interesting and want to hear you discuss. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>